Father, we come to you with a humility, asking if your spirit would teach us and lead us into the truth that is the Lord Jesus Christ. May you be clarified in our minds and our hearts, and may you speak to each one of us collectively as the body of Jesus Christ. We give you the glory and the honor. May what I say today don't stand in the way of what you want to communicate with each one of the soul who are here. And may you be glorified through the teaching and the admonishment of your word today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ is known when we talk about him, not when we read about him. And there is a reason why I want to make this distinction. The tradition of the American churches thus far has been, I don't need anybody, just me, myself, and the Bible, and the Holy Spirit will teach me. Let me try to convince you that that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we need the body of Jesus Christ. We need the church. And the church is the place we don't silently read the scripture, but we speak the word of God. And when the word of God is verbalized between two or more people, Jesus Christ is present within our midst. How do we see Jesus? Let's look at how we are able to see Jesus today. Let us look at John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word was made flesh. Now, this is the important part. This is the thesis of what I want to talk about today. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word was made flesh. God could have left his word in a form that existed with God in the beginning. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. It was not made flesh. There was a reason why God made the word flesh. It was not because so that we can see the word in the flesh. Jesus only lived for 33 years. We don't see him anymore. So that must not have been the reason that we could see him. I will conclude my message in the beginning so that after this you can just go ahead and sleep. So my conclusion is that the word was made flesh, dwelt among us, so that those who are at the time of Jesus saw him, was witnessed his life, witnesses his miracles, saw him crucified, saw him die, saw him buried, and then they saw him came back to life. Not just one, just 12, 11, but 500 other people saw him. They were the first witnesses of Christ's resurrection, and that dispensation of the word ended at that time, in the flesh ended. And then at the time of the disciples, or we call that time the time of the church, the word of God is revealed to us through the preaching of the gospel. The speaking of this word became from then until Jesus returned in the flesh is the way in which we come to see, quote unquote, Jesus by hearing him spoken between us and in the body of Jesus Christ. That's how we see Jesus. Now you can go to sleep. We meet God in the body of Jesus. In the Old Testament, everywhere they went, they took the tabernacle of Moses. There was the holy place. Inside the holy place, there was the, the holy of holies where the Ark Covenant was. On top of the Ark Covenant was the two Jerobim. And between the Jerobim is where God shows up. His presence. Without God's presence, there is no life. There is no forgiveness and therefore there is no life because we're all sinners. And when God forgives us, then we have life. 
But every year, there's only one time a year where on the day of atonement, uh, Passover, then the people's sin is forgiven through the high priest, taking the people's sin into the Holy of Holies. And if God is pleased with the offering, then he will reveal himself in the supernatural light. Divine light appears in the, the mercy seat. The ark, the tabernacle, will fold it up, travel with the Israelites in the daytime. Throughout the year, you will see the pillar of fire, the cloud. They were the representation of God's presence. When they got to Jordan, the ark were carried over the Jordan River, which means that the presence of God went with them to over on the other side of Jordan, but the tabernacle of Moses was no longer needed. So here in a time of history where God's presence was there on the ark, but the tabernacle wasn't. David understood the implication because without the tabernacle, there is no presence. Presence of God only exists in the tabernacle. It is the place where God promised that I will meet you in the tabernacle, but there's no tabernacle. And if you remember the story, they carried the ark into the city of David. The cart that carried the ark of covenant shook and somebody came there and tried to help the ark from falling. And what happened to the man we all knew? He was angry with God for killing someone who touched the Ark of Covenant. Because of his anger of the Lord, sent this Ark to another man's Obed-Edom. And when the Ark went to Obed-Edom, he became wealthy, like filthy rich. <laughs> the son of King David, Solomon, because you were not a man of war, you did not spill blood, I will allow you to build a temple for me. It will be a temple at Jerusalem where the Ark of Covenant will be. God restored his presence to the people of Israel. So only in the time of Solomon where a house is built for the Lord and that the tabernacle or the permanent tabernacle became part of the fixture of the place where the people of God can come and meet God. The temple was a place for us to meet God. And then what happened in the time of the Babylon captivity, the ark went missing. I don't know who, what happened. Uh, accounts told us that it might have been moved to Ethiopia. It might be there. Maybe in the future we find it, but we don't need it anymore. I'll tell you why we don't need it anymore. The temple was destroyed. King Herod built another temple, and it was destroyed. And we remember Jesus made this statement, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. He did not make a reference to that temple, not to the Herod temple. He was make a reference to his own temple. This was the institution of the everlasting temple, the institution of the new temple. And this is the everlasting temple and it is the temple of God, eternal temple, not made with human hands, but came down from heaven in Hebrews. This is the temple that could not be destroyed. And he challenged people, destroy this temple. You go ahead and destroy this temple. And you know what? They did. They tried to destroy this temple by killing Jesus, murdering him, putting him up on the cross. And in three days, what happened? The gospel happened. He rose again from the dead to prove to them that you cannot destroy this temple because this temple is an everlasting temple that will be with us forever. Here's the problem. Where's the temple? Without the temple, God cannot speak with us. Oh, God will not speak with us. God will only speak with us in the temple. Jesus Christ was resurrected and he was resurrected in the body. Now, he was not some kind of form of a figure, the uh, Platonists would have you believe, you know, one day you get out of the cave and then you would see the form. No, he resurrected in the body, in the flesh. 
Thomas, why don't you come here if you don't believe? Put your hand into my hand. Put your hand into my side and you will see that I am the same Christ that has risen. So Jesus Christ arose in the flesh. Jesus Christ became the temple and he says that I will go away. Remember when he was lifted up in the air. Now, Jesus is gone. After the resurrection, he is no longer here. So how is his body here? How is the temple of Christ here with us today? So that's where we are. We meet Jesus not by seeing him. We meet Jesus by hearing him. After this, I will hopefully give you a clearer definition of where Jesus is. We know that the church is called the body of Christ. There are two types of churches. There is a visible church, which is what you see today. And there is an invisible church, which is what you don't see, but it exists. You go to any church, whether it's this church or another church that worships Jesus Christ, that believes in the Trinity, you are in the church of Jesus Christ. You're in the body of Jesus Christ, the invisible church. doesn't matter where you go, whether you're here or you are in Africa or in Uzbekistan, wherever you are. The church of God, the invisible church, is the body of Jesus Christ. The physical church is the manifestation of the body of Christ. The visible church is the church where people congregate and call themselves Christians. No, no I say people congregate and call themselves Christian. The invisible church of God is where Christians are. So that's the distinction. The invisible church of God only has those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The visible church of God includes both the tares and the wheat, the goat and the sheep. So that's the distinction between the visible and the invisible church. The body of Jesus Christ is where we meet Jesus, but do we see Jesus in the body of Christ? Like I said, the body of Jesus Christ is invisible, then we cannot see with our human eyes. We cannot see it because it's an invisible church. The invisible church is made of Christians who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. We have been born again, or use the term, the evangelical term, being converted and brought into the body of Jesus Christ. Converted from a state of being Adam to the state of being in Christ. We've been chosen before the foundation of the world in Christ, meaning part of the invisible church, the body of Jesus Christ. And in the body of Jesus Christ, in this invisible body of Jesus Christ, we see Jesus or we behold. This, the lovely word here is we behold him, behold his glory by hearing his voice, by hearing him speak. Because Jesus is the word of God, logos. Logos means both word and logic in Greek, meaning it is a spoken word. Being born again is being incorporated into the tree of life. That's what being born again is. Each one of us is a branch that we get cut off from Adam and we get grafted into the true olive tree. Because we get grafted into the true olive tree, we are becoming renewed every day because of the life force that comes from the olive tree, comes into the branch, and the fruit that we bear is not wild olive, but the fruit that we will bear is the fruit of the true olive tree, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a sanctification process that's happened when we are grafted. Now, we did not come from the olive tree. We were grafted into the olive tree. And that is why the church is important, because the church is the place where we get grafted into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we are grafted into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, we begin to yield fruit. And if you cut that olive, you see the pit. And that pit is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we have Jesus in us come from that tree and that tree yields fruit and in that fruit the seed is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that will give you all the tools that you need to understand this diagram. How can you see God? I want to be more explicit than to say God. I want to say the Trinity. 
The Trinity comprised of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I know some of you might say, yeah, 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 we know all this already. But we have come so far from church doctrine in our present day that the Trinity is not something that's being taught anymore. And I want to emphasize, I want to make sure that we understand who the Trinity is. The Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They exist at the same time, all eternity. God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father. God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Holy Spirit, God. The three are God. That's not my definition. That's Augustine's definition. Think about this. The Son cannot be the Son without the Father. The Father cannot be a Father without the Son. So from that concept, they have to exist at the same time for them to be the Father and the Son. Otherwise, there was a time when God the Father is not Father. The Trinity sends the Son, the Word of God. The second person in the Trinity exists as the Word of God. He exists before he became Jesus or Emmanuel. He was the Word of God before creation. The Word of God was sent by the Trinity to be made flesh and dwell among us. So that's how God incarnate became us. And how was he incarnate? He became the seed. Man cannot see God and live. No one can see God at any time. In Exodus 33, 20, you cannot see my face, God speaking to Moses, for no one, no man can see my face and live. When Moses asked God, show me your glory, and God said, no one can see my face. So now we have a problem. If God is life, but because we sin, we can't see God, so we can't live. Separation from God, because we can't see God because we sin and for all that have sinned, die. And because the only way for us to live is to see God. How did the high priest went into that most holy place and see God? God made a way for us to see God. And that way requires something called the blood. When the sacrifice is made, the blood was stripped, that blood allows the high priest to come into the holy place, the holy of holies. And the blood was the enabler. I'm presenting some of the things that you need to be able to see God. But we cannot see God and live. Sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2, because of our sin, God hid his face from us. We cannot see God because of our sin. Physically, we cannot stand in God's glory because we will be burned up because God is so pure and we are made of impurities. And when impurities meet the pureness of God, we just get incinerated. There are two reasons why we cannot see God. Because we have sin, we cannot see God because he is sinless. And because we are impure, we cannot see God because he's pure. There's a solution, however. The solution is this. Jesus on the mount says that blessed are those who have pure heart, for they will see God. So there is a way for us to see God. And I'm going to show you how we can or may have a pure heart. We will eventually see God both spiritually and in the flesh. Right now, none of us can see God in the flesh. The only person who can see God in the flesh was Jesus Christ on Mount Tabor. When he took his disciples and they went on Mount Tabor, there he transfigured before them. That glorified essence of God was shown glimpse, a glimpse. The only person who can see God is Jesus Christ, but no mortal flesh can see God. And Jesus Christ's mission is to restore both for us to both be spiritually able to see God and physically able to see God. And we'll get to that, how we'll be able to see that. Let's talk about how you will be spiritually able to see God. 
your sin has to be done away with for you to see God. Because if we have sin, we cannot see God. So how do you get rid of your sin? We can only see God by the blood of Jesus Christ, meaning the cleansing blood that cleanses from guilt and sin. How can we be cleansed by Jesus' blood? The gospel. Always return to the gospel. Jesus was crucified. He has to die. He has to die for the blood to be shed. If Jesus Christ did not die, then his blood cannot be shed and we cannot have his blood. And if we don't have his blood, our sins cannot be cleansed. So he has to die. Not only that, but he has to die. Whatever God promises in Christ does not come into effect until the tester is dead. You write a will. That will does not go into effect until you're dead. So your children can inherit whatever that will is said. So Jesus has to die for both the promise that God made and the blood that we need. The gospel is that Jesus died for our sin. Peter, on the roof, he was praying. He was hungry. He doesn't know whether because of his hunger that makes him hallucinate or he starts seeing angel, an angel appear to him. And the angel says, I have a man here. Cornelius by the name, that you need to go to that man and you need to preach the gospel to him because he, I want to save him. Think about this. God wants to save Cornelius, but he can only save Cornelius through Peter's preaching. Peter, if he were as wise as you, Daniel, he would say, you know what? I'm busy praying here. So I'm going to send him the Torah. You know, I'm just going to, you know, just send it to him and have him read it and have him convert it by reading that's not the gospel. Jews and Gentiles, we see each other walking on the same side of the street. We turn around and we walk the other way. That's how Jew and Gentiles work. And here, God is saying, Peter, go to Cornelius, a Gentile, and preach to him. No, God, no. But remember all that vision? Wherever God had cleansed, no man can call unclean. The gospel has to be preached. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm preaching the gospel because it has to be preached. You cannot have you, your Bible, and the Holy Spirit and somehow come to the knowledge of the gospel. It has to be preached. The word was made flesh and he went around preaching. Jesus went around preaching the word of God. It had not changed and it will never change. There will never come a time where you have AI preaching to you the gospel. Does that work? Artificial intelligence. Would there be a time where a machine will preach the gospel to you. Would that work? Would that work? Let me tell you, it won't work. It won't work because we are moved by the Spirit of God to preach the gospel. There's the Spirit of God that is in the lives of every person who speaks the Word of God and become power to change those who believe. It is the Spirit. AI does not have the Spirit of God. Tapes don't have the Spirit of God. Otherwise, we don't need any preachers today. We have a collection and a library of old recordings that as good as any. But we need people because God, the Holy Spirit, only dwell in people, not machines or, or recording. The gospel has to be preached so that we can see Jesus by hearing him speak. When the gospel is preached, it needs to be preached by someone who has the spirit of God. And the sinners hear the gospel preached and the sinner repents and the sinner get baptized and the sinners get incorporated into the church of God, the body of Jesus Christ. On the other side, God himself, the spoken word became incarnate in the seed. Luke 8, the sower goes out to sow, and Jesus concluded that parable in saying that the seed is the word of God. And the seed is sown by the preaching of the gospel. The word of God, or the seed, when we speak the word of God, when we preach the word of God, we are 
planting seed in the hearts of the hearers. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is, the devil. In the cross of Jesus Christ meets the sinner, his flesh and his blood had to be broken and spilled so that we, through the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ, may inherit eternal life. And our conversion comes from believing that Jesus Christ died for me. Jesus Christ died for me. He died for me. And we partake of his flesh and blood. I partake of his flesh and blood. Therefore, makes me cleansed, guiltless, sinless before God. We have been imputed his righteousness. We believe the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to us. We won't feel anything. There's nothing changed in our mind or feeling or behavior. But there's a label that Jesus Christ had put on our forehead, and that label says righteous. We can't see it, we can't feel it, we can't touch it, but that label is there. And when you go to God at the final judgment, you stand before God, God look at you and he sees the word righteous, and he said, you're righteous. You might be staying there and you say, I don't, I don't feel righteous. It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ imputed this righteousness to you. It's called the forensic doctrine of justification. It's not what you feel or how you feel like. It is a judge that you're not guilty. You're not guilty. On the other hand, if you are Roman Catholic, then this comes from Thomas Aquinas. And he says this, the Christian is not imputed righteousness. The Christian is infused with Christ's righteousness. Now, do you see the difference? If you are infused with Christ's righteousness, then it becomes a habit. Righteousness becomes a habit. You grow and become more righteous. And the doctrine of justification and sanctification happens at the same time, whereas we separate those two processes. Do we believe that one day become saints? I mean, truly saints, like label, saint. Saint Paul, oh, that, that one taken already. We are converted at the time where we believe that Jesus Christ, his blood shed for us, Whatever God promised in Christ is now our inheritance because the tester died. Jesus Christ died. His blood is shed. We have the blood of Jesus Christ. Now we can come into the body of Jesus Christ. Once we get into the body of Jesus Christ, now we are there. Do we stop listening to the gospel? We do not stop listening to the gospel because the gospel not only saves us, the gospel also purifies us. We have to have this sanctification because Righteousness is imputed to us. Sanctification process is after we are inside the church, we're going through the sanctification and becoming Christ-like. Now, becoming Christ-like does not save us. The blood of Jesus Christ said we are saved by faith alone. There's nothing else. Not because we do good works that we get saved. No, no. We are saved by faith alone. But in the process of being sanctified, becoming more like Christ, we need to hear the gospel. And the gospel is preached in the body of Jesus Christ. And the process of hearing the gospel, listening to the gospel being preached, it purifies us, it purifies our life, our soul. Think about it. The music that we hear, if you keep hearing music that is angry, that's vile, violent, then you begin to act and behave the same way. We're changed by what we hear. You interact with someone, they get angry, and they're looking at you, saying angry words to you. You're going to respond in kind. You're going to say things that are out of anger, 
What we hear changes, changes our brain structure, changes our neurological pathway, and it changes us. If you listen to the gospel, it purifies you. When we participate in the body of Jesus Christ, we get life back because the tree, the body of Christ is the tree, is the olive tree, and we are the branches that get grafted into the body of Christ. When you participate in the church, when you participate in the body of Christ, what you're doing is that you are grafting yourself into the body, the church. And the church is where Jesus Christ is. And his life force flows through the branches. If you have not been in the church for a long time, you see something missing in your life. That thing that's missing in your life is life. The life of Jesus Christ is missing. The life of Jesus Christ only exists in the body of Jesus Christ. John 15, 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And without me, ye can do nothing. The vine is the church. We are the branches. We get grafted into the vine. The more connected you are to the vine, the more life you have. And the life that is in the vine will give you, will cause you to bear fruit. And that's life. Life is when fruit form in your life. Life is when you see that Things that you do, the words that you speak, brings forth the presence of Jesus Christ. That's life. That's life to us, and that's life to those who are in Christ. Our hearts become purified, and when they are purified, the word of Jesus Christ says, Blessed are the pure in heart, and that is how we see God. We see God by hearing Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The Bible de-emphasizes the act of seeing visually. The Bible tells you that we should not look on things, but look on those things that are not seen. How do you see things that are not seen? My solution, you listen. Everything that is seen is made of things that are not seen. Now, in the beginning, there's formless, just God, and God spoke. The first thing that happens in the universe is the spoken word of God. What does the Bible say about the creation of this universe? Is it really that old? Is the Bible say the earth or the universe is only 7,000 years old, about 7,000, years old? The universe is, what, 13.8 billion years old? Let me just pose this question for you to think about. Now, read any scientific book. They will tell you. They don't know. What happens before the 13.8 billion year? Now, some of them will say this. There's an event, and that event is called singularity. What is singularity? Singularity is unobservable, infinite, undifferentiable event. Undefined, basically. What is undefined? We don't know. Here, the Bible tells you right in the beginning of John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. There, that event, that singularity event is the Word of God. It's defined in the spoken Word. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we still, today, 2,000 years later, still reject this gift that God's given to us. It's time that we embrace this gift and have life. Now, the scientific mind can go so far, but remember, it's all theories. This is theology, it's not theory. This is the study of God. This is who God is. In the beginning was knowledge. The knowledge of God created everything. Now, if we want to know life, we need to have knowledge. And knowledge begins with the Word of God.
what God said. If you believe that, that is life. And that brings life. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have given to us by the way of Jesus Christ, spoken by your own lips. You said men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is spoken from the lips of God. So I pray, Lord, that we hold on to this word of life. We hold on to this life that was spoken to us. Every one of us needs and must return to the place, to the temple, the place where we can hear you speak. For in that temple, in that place, the holy of holies is where we hear God speaking to us, speaking your forgiveness, your love, your mercy to us. So I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we return to the gospel, we return to the spoken word, and that we become the channel in which you will speak through us and through our speaking of the gospel. We are changed. We are changed from our minds to our hearts, to our soul, to our being. And most importantly, Lord God, that we become the agent that you will change other people through the preaching of the gospel through us. And we thank you that you have entrusted to us this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in your name we pray. Amen.